Network Zero, Episode Six. Yay, another one finally after we did last week. Uh, last week, last episode. Um, what did we do last time? Werewolf. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did do Werewolf, didn't we? So uh, I am joined again by Sam. Hello. And I'm joined by our other regular host, James. Howdy. And I'm, of course, your regular host, Chris. So hello. Hello, hello, hello. Um, so, yeah, last time we covered, uh, we did a primer on Werewolf the Forsaken, um, which was good fun. Uh, some werewolf movies. And we're not going to talk about Mage the Awakening because uh, uh, I need to take some time to read through that one. And, I'm, you know, it's a bit easier to plow through, I think, because I know the setting is, I'm, I'm more aware of it. I've run Mage before. Uh, I think, James, you're quite aware of Mage the Awakening as a setting as a setting then as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So instead, uh, given that we're on the run-up to the International Gothic Association Conference in Manchester and um, and the fact that it is the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein mm-hmm. uh, by Mary Shelley uh, this year, um, I thought we'd talk about and do a primer on Promethean the Created Second Edition. Um, but before we get into that crap, uh, we just do our normal. What have we been up to gaming wise, horror wise, watching things, yada, yada, yada? So, um, James, what have you been up to gaming wise? You've been you've been traveling gaming wise. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be picked for uh, by my company to go to GDC. Um, so that's the Games Developers Conference in San Francisco. Um, loads of really smart, really top of their game people talking about video games and design. You know, design, art, audio. Um, community management uh even like managing mental health in the games industry because that's always something that like there's quite a lot of stress and quite a lot of pressure so you know really interesting talks going on um came back with about 70 pages of notes so um yeah i feel enlightened from that any cool kind of uh horror gaming things that were showcased there computer game wise um, there was a talk about the Friday the 13th game um, oh, yeah, yeah. and how they went about balancing it, which is, um, so it's an asymmetric horror game. So you have one place, one person playing as Jason Voorhees, um, mm. and then you have the other people playing as camp counselors and they, oh. uh, they're trying to escape and obviously he's trying to kill them all. Um, but they balanced it not so that, you know, in a knockdown fist fight, this you know, this he's going to do this much damage, and uh, they bam- they balanced it around the actual feel. Like they wanted to make sure that you know, you're probably not going to get everyone, but there's definitely going to be a couple of people dying. So you know, he needs to be good enough. Mm. Um, and it felt like quite a pen and paper role play style balancing, whereas you know, I've seen. You only have to look at something like World of Warcraft, where every single patch is like dissected and enumerated, and you know exactly how much things are changing always, constantly. Mm. 
like to see someone go, yeah, you know, it needs to be about right. Uh, yeah, was really interesting. That's cool. Um, and some really fantastic talks on world design. Um, the uh, Guerrilla Games was there. They talked about Horizon Zero Dawn, which is one of the kind of breakaway hits of last year. Um, mm. I saw uh, the team um, who did Edith Finch, or What Remains of Edith Finch, which is oh, right. um, just one uh, cleared up at the BAFTAs, I believe. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit more when we get on to the convention went to, because I think, Sam, you'll actually, I think it's the topic game you'd actually like to play, because it's more of a James, am I right in saying it's it's more of a classic point and click adventure, isn't it? It's a it's kind of in the style, but it's a first it's in the first person. So, but we'll talk about it a bit more. Yeah, uh, I mean, a bit it's later. A, then. So, uh, it's amazing, but it's not very gamey in the classical sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, cool. Um, anything else other than that? You've been playing some Kingdom Death, I guess. Maybe, Ooh. maybe. Not. Um, so I've I've been gearing up to play Kingdom Death. Um, I've ordered some tokens to keep to help me keep track of all of the the little moving parts and things during yeah. uh, during the fights. And I I'm also gearing up to play a little bit of Guild Ball. Um, oh, no, a friend exactly. of mine is uh, he keeps threatening to come around and and play some games with me, but we've never quite managed to make our schedules match up. So. Mm. Um, I'm trying to figure out a good team for for beating the morticians because yeah. oh my goodness that obulus. Mm. <laughs> so uh, Sam, what's been going on? What have we what have you been watching? I guess what you've been watching, what we've been watching. But I've been doing some gaming, so you can talk about other horror things. Um, I'm not really sure if it's horror, but we started watching Westworld finally. Yes, Ooh, it's which is highly, excellent, of course. Highly relevant to uh, this episode's topic. Yeah. Um, tell us some more about what sort. Yeah, how many episodes were in? We're not that many episodes in. About four, mm. I think. <laughs> and uh, what has um, grabbed your attention compared to other genre TV? Um, I think it's it's mostly that. Um, obviously, it makes the concept of exploitation very clear. So it's not like other other TV shows like Game of Thrones which sort of show nudity and things like that and you know sort of people's questionable motives they they don't really offer a critique on it whereas Westworld is you know out and out coming to say this is exploitation this is what the actual show is about mm. and about people's ethics and morals and I think that's uh, very important with what we're going to talk about today and you know the, the the feelings of those who were created. Yeah. As you know, they become more aware of their situation. Yeah, but it's no, it's really cool. Like um, the cast is really, really good. Yeah. Um, and it's quite engaging because obviously you can engage with them with the the setting, like both through the created personalities of the the hosts who are basically the the robots of the mm -hmm. of the of the world the, this created world versus also the plots that the underlying plot of the actual theme park itself so yeah so we're gonna have to plow through some more of that mostly tonight and this weekend before season two starts on uh on sky yay uh what else um we've been watching or oh, what else have you has grabbed your attention 
Um, we watched the Spanish horror movie Veronica, mm-hmm. which is um, uh, it's based on a true story that happened in the 90s uh, with the death of a girl that was mysterious after she used a Ouija board. And it's a really incredible film and it's very creepy. And um, I think maybe the scariness of it was a little bit hyped, but I did really, really enjoy it and thought it um, did some interesting things. Mm. And yeah, I I just thought it was really great, but I do tend to really like the sort of female-led horrors and, you know, sort of uh, the the fixation on, on like girls in puberty uh, dealing with supernatural issues that arise possibly because of that puberty and a sort of like coming of age thing and you know it it was kind of weird to me because um as with a lot of female-led horrors um I was reading a lot of uh bad reviews of it from male critics who always seem to dislike female-led horrors but they don't really say that's why they just seem to sort of subconsciously um have that idea that a female-led horror is sort of not very relatable and boring and they use the word derivative a lot you know uh but you know i i think it becomes very clear that when you get these sort of privileged white men and they they say things like i didn't enjoy this movie because i don't understand why we're supposed to empathize with this girl or whatever and and it's just a very i don't know what would you say it is chris like a very view of something that that they can't possibly relate to a character unless it it represents them somehow which obviously you know they they, they've got representation everywhere really Mm. so you know and and then comparing such a movie which is very thematically different to something that came out recently like the ritual and saying that they preferred the ritual over this movie, but they're completely different films. And obviously the difference with the ritual is that it has like a male cast. And it was like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying, that you find it instantly more relatable. Um, I, I've just seen kind of a trend of this in sort of, um, you know, male critics saying things like, like people didn't like it follows because they thought it was silly um in sort of the the dilemma it was proposing with you know sort of the the girl the teenage girl and 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 it just seems to be that you know uh it, it's kind of a widespread problem do with teenage girls or about teenage girls or anything that involves them in some way like say if a teenage girl likes a particular band or a particular movie or a particular tv show it's instantly like you know, shit upon by the media because, oh, teenage girls like that or this is a teenage girl thing like, yeah, as in like Bieber or whatever or or One Direction and it's just like made fun of and I think that's like a huge problem Mm. in society, so I don't know, what do you think? Um, I think it's a similar, it's it's a similar problem of, that you get with when um, Get Out Certain critics of, of course, that, yeah. simply because they they couldn't they could they, they felt like they can empathise with the character simply because of the difference of ethnicity, and it's like really, yeah. There were a lot of apologists too for the white characters in Get Out, and especially the girlfriend, with people actually coming up to the actress who played the girlfriend on the street and saying, 
uh, she was hypnotized, right? You know, she wasn't like she didn't deliberately want to be part of it. And the actress, of course, was like, no, no, she was she was an evil Nazi. She was definitely part of it. Yeah. Like she was willingly part. So, you know, that's like the scary thing. But people just don't want to believe that that's what it was, which is why they were saying that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's a sort of pervasive issue also with a movie like LGBT movie that came out recently called Love, Simon. And I, I think in reaction to uh, Call Me By Your Name winning Oscars and stuff, uh, some people were saying, oh, do we really need another gay movie? Like, mm. you know, do, do we need this? It's like, um, I don't know. Do we need another straight movie? So, yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, no. That's... Uh, but anyway... As you were saying with with movies and representation and all all that kind of stuff, like it is a really narrow minded viewpoint. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, that, yeah, like I find that very frustrating. Like I thought Get Out was uh, like it was a truly terrifying movie. Um, yeah, it really is. Yeah, and you know, I I think trying to fight back against where some of this, I mean, it's like it's like new. Well, if you can look at things with a different viewpoint, if you can understand someone else's position, like you can have mm-hmm. so much more ideas, you can have such a wider breadth yeah. of stories to tell. And why why anyone in a position looking at an art form, whether it be films, games, what have you, would be telling people that we don't need them frankly they are probably just not really qualified to be talking about it <laughs> yeah that's generally what i think um i think one of the critics in particular that was talking about veronica um didn't um didn't understand apparently why it was set in the 90s they were like for some reason and it's like well because the uh, the true story that it's based on was in the 90s so that's just like a complete lack of journalistic research to begin with. Um, so you don't really know anything about the movie that you're reviewing. And I think also, I'm not sure if it was the same person, but they um, also seem to take issue with a plot point which uh, was to do with the main character uh, being 15 and not having had her first period yet. And then uh, this is brought up by the school nurse. And then later on, um, like she does actually get her first period. And and then they were complaining that, oh, but then this wasn't really significant at all later on. It like didn't really come to anything. And it's like, well, it is significant uh, within the wider context of the story. And it doesn't have to be like a massive revelation or anything to be, you know, valuable within the story. So... Mm. Uh, to me, that that's just bad uh, movie journalism, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's very annoying. Um, uh, I mean, that, yeah, it must happen a lot in computer games, doesn't it? As well, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just ah, uh, it's just. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I can imagine it's also the same with certain tabletop games as well. Like people, it you know, it's it's interesting when you can. There's something there's something interesting you can get out of playing outside of your of your comfort zone maybe, but also actually at the same time you need to do some effort so that you you're not just being a stereotype mm-hmm. of of someone from that 
background or region of the world or well I think that's kind of something I often think about when I do tabletop role play and um often in the past if I've been the only girl in the group it will sort of be on me to play a female character to kind of you know avoid it being like a sausage fest Mm. in the party because the guys only want to play male characters or or have done in the past Mm. and um you know and that's not to say i can't also play a male character i enjoy playing a male character just as much as a female but i feel that sometimes you know if it's just a lot of dick waving in Mm. the party that i feel like i should kind of step in because i'm going to be the only one who wants to step in and play a woman um and that's sometimes a bit tiring because you know sometimes you want to sort of play against that and you know i like i said i do like playing male characters as well so um you know it's good when a guy sort of perhaps steps out of their comfort zone yeah mark Mark did that for the last yeah our friend mark did that recently for a one shot that we did and that was quite uh, refreshing because we actually had an all-female cast. Yes, that. yes, it was. Um, so it was me and my female friend and my male friend, and uh, we we all played women, and 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 yeah, that was just really never appreciate. I, I guess it, I didn't. I didn't. I, I guess I didn't. It didn't. You kind didn't of, really think through. It, you... I didn't realize the magnitude of that within the gaming history I've done to have like I think so because if you well perhaps not in gaming really but if you were to translate that into say a movie yeah it's kind of final girl kind of thing yeah um yeah so I really enjoyed that and I think um like I'm not going to assume everyone's motivations for playing a particular type of character or not but you know, I, I, I don't I don't think men always shy away from playing female characters because, oh, they don't like women or I'm not implying that at all. I'm saying that uh, especially in this sort of like climate where we're, we're trying to look at things like equality and stuff, I think perhaps guys might sometimes feel like they're muscling in if they try and play a female character or they feel that they um they don't want to make any wrong steps mm. with with uh portraying a female because they don't really understand how to make that relatable or make that realistic or something and and they they don't want to sort of make a faux pas mm. in portraying a female and we've had problems with players in the past portraying female characters in a very kind of stereotypical simplistic way which was actually kind of offensive Hmm. and um, sort of showing their own dislike of women and that that coming through in their portrayal. And, um, you know, I think maybe people just get a bit afraid of that. And uh, I just, you know, I I think what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, it's it's not that people are going to immediately take offense if you try something out of your comfort zone. You know, I think it's it's definitely something worth doing. And, you know, I, I think if you've been afraid of that before, then not to be too scared of it and just to, like, have a go and, and see how you like it at doing something a bit different. Hmm. Yeah. 
I can't really add much more to that. Yeah. It's, I mean, as a storyteller, you're kind of always trying to, you're always pushed out of your comfort zone because you want to portray a, a rich um, setting uh, with as many different types of characters that can be encountered. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I've seen it with like writers as well, like writers not writing diverse stories because they're afraid to put words in the mouth of, say, a character of a different ethnicity to them mm. or a different sexuality. Uh, so you sometimes get straight writers being afraid to write gay characters, not because they're in any way prejudiced, but because they're afraid of doing it wrong. And I think that's uh, writing those type of characters that are different to yourself. Like It just takes some... Uh, research and maybe actually talking to people you know that have experience of issues that uh, affect that that kind of community mm. and you know it, it it can be done yeah easily you, you just need to be open and communicate with people and you know and then you'll get more diverse and interesting stories that appeal to a, a, a bigger lot of people and you know actually encourage representation which i think is you know always a good idea so yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, being less serious yeah, moment. Yeah, we, we get um, heavy into that. <laughs> gaming wise, what have I done? Uh, Necromunda. Yeah, that's been great. Uh, that's been good fun. Uh, my G Circle gang is doing quite badly. Uh, maybe get a gaming tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, introduced um, David, who's obviously um, you know was you know, in the past was host on the show um, uh, to Kingdom Death last night quite enjoyed it because yesterday uh was the gaming the gothic um convention in sheffield which i will talk about a bit more otherwise i don't think oh i've been playing i've been playing outlast mm -hmm. oh right and of course that's a first person survival horror where you can't fight you know you're just there with a video camera and it's good fun scary you hide from things i've heard you yelling quite a bit it's like it. some bits are a bit frustrating because <laughs> it's not so obvious where you need to run to to get away from things um uh it'll be interesting to play through that and then start playing the the um the second one um yeah so uh yeah that's been that's been good fun um i can't think of anything else gaming wise been up to other than painting toy soldiers as per as per uh, as per normal um, um so i think we can move on to the news section of what things are going on and coming up so yeah let's do that now So, not many new releases right now, but there is Night Horrors uh, enemy action out for Demon the Descent. So, Night Horrors books for Chronicles of Darkness are antagonist books. They detail lots of different antagonists within that setting that you can use. But also, so you essentially you can try and use them in other games as well. Uh, because that's the nice thing about Chronicles of Darkness. The antagonists within the settings are quite compatible and offer interesting things. So obviously there's things about demonic, uh, you know, cults to the god machine, stigmatics, uh, all these other weird entities, you know, the angels of the god machine, rather evil kind of antagonistic demon, uh, demon characters within that setting. Uh, so there's lots of fun stuff there. Otherwise, as I said, not, no other books out gaming content-wise. So things coming up, uh, obviously there's Horicon UK 
in Sheffield. We've been given a table for that. It's yeah. crazy. Um, I wish we had yeah. more. Yeah, I wish we had more time for uh, ahead of it. So it basically means we've got somewhere we can sit down. So I'm gonna have to get something like some uh, get like at least a banner mm. done, um, which means we can use it for other events in future, which is cool. Um, but yeah, hopefully then next year we'll have a lot longer heads up time on that, so we can actually organise things with publishers like White Wolf, like Onyx Path to get some freebie copies of you know the demo introductory uh, uh, introductory adventure copies of games, uh, so that they um, so we can talk to those to fans of horror games. Because the one thing about horror game uh, horror con, I think it's I don't think I haven't got a sense of but it mostly isn't present there is they cover horror media but not horror gaming yeah because i think it's because um they probably don't have time to delve into that because there is just so much with other horror media yeah and the other um exhibitors that will have and merch tables and things it's just like there's you know the whole other dimension to it yeah yeah but it's a natural fit, and obviously, um, computer gaming is well a huge industry, dwarfing so many things in media these days. And you know, for certain, you know, horror gaming makes up a vast amount of gaming uh, games out there, of both computer games and tabletop and live action role play and so forth. That it's a natural fit. So um, I think we just need to get leg in the door and uh, you know help people want to be there to to grab hold of and talk to the fans directly who are mostly there as well so not not just you foot in the door then get the whole the leg whole in leg, the get whole the whole leg, leg in, in. um <laughs> obviously there's uk games expo um that me and james are going to so um yeah you might see us on the beast of war live feed when that's going on because we might get tapped last minute <laughs> due to something going wrong maybe so we might tell you about um live on their feed about stuff we spot that um they didn't have scheduled but we we may uh, spot that's interesting um uh, we're trying to get the last thing sorted out for the international gothic association in manchester which is also linked to what will be the manchester gothic festival um that um that should be good fun because we're going to do a live uh stream of Chronicles of Darkness and possibly even Vampire Fifth Edition. That's also related to UK Games Expo. So um, I have got a slot for running a demo of Chronicles of Darkness there. And I've applied to run a slot for Vampire Fifth Edition with either the Rusted Veins demo or if they give me a new demo kit ready by then from White Wolf, we'll be running a completely new adventure for that, a new story for that. And finally, yesterday uh, was the Gaming the Gothic uh, um, conference in Sheffield run by the uh, media studies media department English department it's like they've got a whole like all these departments now because you've got one in Manchester Met University you've got their Centre for Gothic Studies and that seems to be these are now springing up quite a lot at least in the north um, and our friend David who obviously is a podcast he is into teaching about uh, crime murder and obviously horror and gothic elements in, in media um it was interesting there was a few games that were talked about james mostly there was stuff like castlevania is castlevania more gothic than hammer horror <laughs> representations of dracula Ooh. um and how that's evolved over the, the the game line um 
Lovecraftian elements that turn up within um, in World of Warcraft, uh, LARPing and how you break the wall between um, the person playing and the character they're playing and, and using props to, reinf to, to help bridge that gap and the role of props within LARP uh, to give a sense of weirdness. Um, the, uh, what else was that? Gothic themes that turn up in Pokemon. Yeah. Um, and then also games that the one that you mentioned, James, um, and something called Night in the Woods. Oh, yeah. Night in the I've I've heard really good things about Night in the Woods. Yes. And I've not got round to playing it yet. Um, so um, Night in the Woods is what you would call Rust Belt Gothic um, is the setting. Uh, but interestingly, going back to what Sam was talking about, about um, being able to empathize with the characters, while the characters are clearly, you know, have all human, they are human in their nature, in the, in the in their lives and struggles, and that's what the, the game's kind of about. It's a struggle of someone that's returned from college and dropped out and trying to reconnect with their life, as much as I was aware of what the game was doing. Um, the characters as they're portrayed, though, uh, are anthropomorphic animal people, and of course, when you put use animals in the place of people, like uh, as in this is a cat person, mm -hmm. or this is a pig person, or a dog person, you the the barrier that's put up by skin color, race, religion, ethnicity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is broken down because it, it maybe it softens the blow as well about some of the socio political um, elements that are coming up in the game. But the one that you were saying about James, the um, was it the pieces of Edith Finch, was it? Oh, uh, what remains of Edith Finch? Yes. So, if I'm a, if I'm right, it's a first-person game, mm -hmm. and you're going through a house. Yeah. And there are items you can interact with that reveal where Edith has gone. So what's happened to her? Ah, uh, it's to to say too much about it would. Um, yeah, there's massive some of the, spoilers, some of the yeah. bits, but um, so Edith comes from a family which um, they seem to be cursed to all die oddly. Yeah, um, and she goes back to her family home, which is now abandoned, um, and she's exploring it for some reason. Um, she goes through the rooms like. This is a house that has kind of grown as the family's grown, and people have added rooms to it and things. So it's got that kind of uh, Americana sprawl where it's this strange, towering edifice by the end of it. And um, yeah, she kind of explores these other stories of the other members of the family that have come before. Mm. Um, very, uh, like, it, it was absolutely one of my favorite games from last year. Um, I played the whole thing through in one sitting, um, and I absolutely adored it. Uh, yeah, there's some other things. So, so I think it's interesting because it's not typical. Like, you can play through it quite casually. Like, yeah, it's, it's not. It's, it's not really like a, led a by shooter type thing or or strategic game. It's a. It's you're immersing yourself in the stories of the people of the game. So in that respect, it kind of reminds me of like. Um, the mist series yeah it, yeah, yeah like it's it's like it's that is that's probably quite you know that's a, a pretty good shout because it's um it's an interactive narrative where you 
you participate in the the kind of set pieces as you go around and explore the house and um yeah i mean oh goodness yeah there's a lot to <laughs> it um other things there was something about like there was stuff about um you know lovecraftian themes in in bloodborne um mm. there was uh love there was also um the gothic um elements that turn up in dark souls uh the gothic uh, Nate, the the gothic theme of the tyrant, like so, Dracula is a tyrant of a mm -hmm. form, and uh, and the idea of uh, tyranny through um, mental manipulation and how that's and how that all interrelates, and that was with respect to the game, uh, the evil within that I now feel like I want to play. Um, oh yes, yeah. Um, then there was a there was a, a close reading about Mordheim, the computer game, though I felt. Uh, which was, I think, limited itself because I think talking about the computer game without referencing how it compares contrast to the tabletop game and the artwork established there and the story, the setting of Warhammer, kind of, it, you're losing a huge chunk about why Mordheim is the game it is and why it has those um, th themes, styles, the look of it, uh, the elements that are in there. Um, and yeah, uh, there was also something about um, Xeno archaeology in No Man's Sky and how it's uh, you're kind of like haunted by ancient civilizations. So it's almost like kind of like the cosmic horror that is within No Man's Sky. Um, so yeah, it was really, it was really, really, really very interesting. Um, and you know, I, I felt like a rogue interloper outside of my my nice little world of chemistry and computers and materials and science and uh being able to engage with a topic which you know due to things like this podcast and gaming that i feel like i can engage with so it's quite curious it sounds totally uh, rad and if they do a uh, if they do one next year i'm i think i might have to try and book a day off for it indeed indeed do so uh, on that note let's move on to the main topic which is kind of gothic in its nature which is Promethean the Created 2nd Edition. So, Sam, mm -hmm. what do you think Prometheans are? Um, is this a trick question? No, this is a perfectly good question. Because I've not run Promethean in the created i will say that up front i've used elements of it within changeling in the past um but i do want to run it and i think the second edition is a good chance to run it so we're gonna that's why we're starting this now so what do you think prometheans they're are? reanimated corpses yes so are they always whole corpses or are they can they be made of bits of corpses in their traditional Ooh, frankenstein that's an interesting question and also promethean uh you know relates to Prometheus. And what did Prometheus do? Well, kind of a lot of things. But he stole fire from the yes. gods. That that's his most famous uh his most famous escapade. And then there's also creating Pandora. Mm-hmm. And the, and all the uh sins that go with with uh unfortunately attributed with Pandora and a certain box. But these things will turn up in our discussion about Promethean money. So yes, uh, Promethean are created 
from the dead and reanimated. Uh, they can be made from uh, a single corpse or from parts. Um, but essentially, no matter how you reanimate them, they will always have what's known as a disfigurement, uh, which show which so that they will much like changelings have their mien, which hides their true nature. Prometheans uh, have uh, their power, their innate ability to hide uh, what they are, um, but their disagreements do show. The most important thing is, though, do the do Prometheans have souls? No. No. So they're not true humans. They look human. They attempt to live and act like humans, but they are not human and they have trouble understanding humans there so the game is about playing a creep a, 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 a reanimated person who is who lacks a soul who wants to become human and they may have been created by either a, a an al alchemist type character so a demiurge or by another promethean who has performed creating another promethean as part of their journey to becoming human so yeah, you can be made in. You can be created in many ways. There are many different alchemical processes that can be done to do this, and then over the ages, there have been many rituals and and so forth to do it. Um, the key thing is, and go back to Prometheus, is that they are animated by um, uh, Azoth, which is the the divine fire. So it comes from this other realm, uh, and it comes from this source called the principle. Uh, so the principle is like a force for change in our world, in the world of dark, in the in the Chronicles of Darkness, um, and Azoth is one kind of form. So it's like the 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 main furnace within a Promethean, but they also have like the 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 divine fire they can they can, that fuels their that they spend as fuel to do powers and things, which is called Pyros. But Pyros is more like the controlled form of it. There is also the well. Pyros, the control form is more called Elp, Elpis, which means hope. And then there's the uncontrolled form, which is called Flux. So Flux is about chaos. So you can see there's this control, chaos, but both lead to change and manipulation of both the world around you and yourself. So ultimately, Prometheans are on a journey to become human and to essentially gather more and more Azoth to generate within them this stuff called vitriol which is kind of like a, a fluid which is a condensed form which allows them to change things within them but if they gather enough azoth and, and vitriol and, and so forth they can essentially become a crucible for their soul so that they can actually turn all this azoth into an actual soul so what do you think about that what themes are interesting about this um can i, I can i go start. for one yeah, James can. <laughs> well, I cool. have a think. So, uh, these these things like Prometheans, you know, they they aren't human, but they want to become human, and that I think is quite an interesting exploration because you know a lot of people uh, there's there's the I know certainly around my friends there's there's uh, or people my kind of age group there's the whole like wow you know when did I become an adult when did I have to do all these things you know I have to kind of discover how to be a grown up and how to do all these do all this stuff myself um, and you know we are all as humans discovering how to be humans like there isn't really a notebook that we get handed with all the tips and tricks and things we have to discover all of that ourselves so in some respect it does 
mirror the human journey through life. Um, yeah, I, re- I realize that's that's a little bit wide and uh, weaving, but um, I think it means that you know you can come to it from a point of empathy when playing these characters, which is something that I often struggle with a little bit with um, some of the the other supernatural creatures. Yep. Well, I think actually kind of related to that is well, or possibly the same thing but uh, delivered in a different conceptual sort of way so um, if you're familiar with the term liminality mm-hmm. or a liminal space right? Uh, so people often make jokes about liminal spaces being things like supermarkets in the middle of the night or things like that you know that don't feel quite real or not not particularly one place or another Right, okay. Right, so um, liminality in anthropology uh, is from the Latin word uh, limen, meaning a threshold. Okay. And it is the quality of ambiguity or disorientation that occurs in the middle stage of rites when participants no longer hold their pre-ritual status but have not yet begun the transition to the status they will hold when the rite is complete. So this relates to rites of passage and things. Mm. Um, during a rites liminal stage, participants stand at the threshold between their previous way of structuring their identity, time or community, and a new way which the rite establishes. So this to me sort of ties into the whole a journey to becoming human and being caught on this threshold of being not human and human. Um, so the concept was developed in the early 20th century by folklorist Arnold van Gennep and later taken up by Victor Turner. Um and now uh, it's a broader usage, so it's like political and cultural change mm. as well as kind of, you know, sort of a personal condition. Um, sorry, I'm just because I'm reading off stuff. Um, so um, it's um, the the stuff regarding uh, Van Gennep uh, talking about uh, rites of passage in 1906. I uh, was talking about a sequential structure, a threefold structure structure which is made up of the following components preliminal rights or rights of separation which uh, is a stage that involves a metaphorical death and the initiate is forced to leave something behind by breaking with previous practices and routines and then um, liminal rights or transition rights which is a destructive nature of mm. a right um, and post-liminal rights where the initiate is reincorporated into society with a new identity as a new being yeah so i i think you know that this is kind of thematic which is where you're caught between one thing and another and you don't know where you belong yes so that's basically what it was and where you belong is is obviously something because obviously uh prometheans have many thresholds that cover on their pilgrimage as they step between roles as they learn different aspects of humanity and and different ways of coping with their 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 um their, their their state of being and also there are um having groups that you feel like you can belong to that's what you've got the the party of characters form what is known as a throng mm-hmm. uh and there is al- alchemy so there's a ritual there you can do where you can bind yourself alchemically um to share experiences and and strengthen uh, your unity and and also like manipulate how disquiet affects you but we'll get into what disquiet is well uh so according to victor turner on liminality that um and and this is regarding how your uh promethean characters uh would perhaps interact with one another 
uh, is that all liminality must eventually dissolve for it's a state of great intensity that cannot exist very long without some sort of structure to stabilize it. Either the individual returns to the surrounding social structure or else liminal communities develop their own internal social structure. Hmm. Okay. So we might return to that as we go on with things. Yeah. There. So, um, so Prometheans obviously aren't people, real people, and they, uh, their pyros, their azoth also um, radiates and it causes issues like disquiet. So depending upon what lineage of Promethean you are, um, and we're getting to lineages, people will react to you negatively in some mm -hmm. particular manner. So, you know, like the villagers going after Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Uh, and then also you have what's known as the wasteland effect, which is where your pyros kind of is bleeding into the, the world around you and is causing issues and problems which um it, it, you know is is a troubling matter uh and has an impact on the game uh you also have the fact that prometheans also can fall to what is known as torment so so prometheans don't have virtues and vices because those are human things human nature itself they have what is known as uh elpis hope and torment which is pain so elpis is about knowing how uh their hopes to how they connect with the world with humans and torment is about uh, the pain they feel from being sep separate from humanity. Um, so, um, yeah. So, you know, along the pilgrimage, which is what they're doing to, to come to the new dawn. The new dawn is where they become human. Mm -hmm. um, they have to do certain acts, which are called milestones, which help refine their proto-soul. So like rites of passage. Yeah. yeah. But also some of these milestones are ubiquitous and, and common to all Prometheans and some are not. So depending upon how they pick their route, their pilgrimage, there are different they can have different milestones they have to overcome. And we'll get to why those are different anyway. But at each milestone they pass, they will feel physically, mentally, spiritually changed. Like the world becomes more colourful, vibrant to them as they they come closer to the human experience rather than their their uh, simulcrum kind of uh, status. Um, and as I said, vitriol is this like physical real substance they can form within themselves. Uh, they can use it to manipulate their body, to regenerate things, alter their body, um, apply it to make alchemical, do, al do alchemy. It can also be stolen from them by what's known as the, by an act called lacuna. And... Um, so other Prometheans can steal it from them. Uh, the evil Prometheans called the Centamani can do it. Or also the Pandorans, which are creatures of flux, which come from a failed attempt to create a Promethean. And when, and when that happens, well, Pandorans can also in turn begin to evolve from rather animalistic uh, creatures uh, made in, and start becoming more sentient. And then they become the Sublimanti. Uh, right, but moving on, we'll talk about the five lineages, okay? Because there's five core lineages, and then there's a few others. So each lineage is kind of aligned to an element. That makes sense. We're talking about alchemy, okay? So this game I really like because it's about alchemy rather than magic. And alchemy, I feel is like it's a very... You're doing physical acts to do change, but they have a reflection on the soul. Whereas I feel like in Mage, you're trying to alter reality on a metaphysical level and in i think this has a kind of 
good crossovers with like the Auto Dracula and Vampire because they also mm. do blood magic and blood alchemy. I like that physicality of magic with it. I um, think that's just because yeah, of my training. Well, because um, I mean, say uh, Frankenstein is is a science fiction. Yes, it is science novel, fiction. So yeah, there you go. That's yeah. Um, so the first one is obviously you've got the lineage of Frankenstein. So the story of Frankenstein is considered real. Uh, they're tied to uh, fire as their uh, as their element. They create their core humor. So each thing is relates to a humor. Humor in one of the four humors. You, yeah. There's five. There's five. Okay, you've got five. You've got five here. <laughs> but the humor is like you get a bonus. Uh, a classic medieval way of understanding uh, the balance of the human body um, for health reasons and so forth. Uh, this humor is the yellow bile. And then when Frankenstein's fall to torment, it's usually because they face injustice and inequality. They react poorly to if they're blamed. Uh, and they're very strong characters. They're very physically strong. And they can also rebuild themselves. So they can take bo fresh body parts and graft mm -hmm. it onto themselves. So that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I like them. We've got Galateans. They relate to air. They are muses. They are obviously tied to the myth of Pygmalion, who sculpted a, a perfect woman, and it was life was breathed into it they crave company and love they're prone to obsession their humor is that of blood they like they have the ability to give people day uh, you know uh they can act as muses they have unearthly beauty their torment triggers if they feel rejected mm -hmm. from someone uh obviously that means they can be really obsessive in either obsessive about a person or they can be obsessive on getting revenge for being rejected mm -hmm. so i think that, that's quite cool my favorite, because I feel this has the greatest crossover potential with a lot of lines, is Assyrians. Obviously, Osiris was torn asunder by his brother Set, reconstructed by his sister wife Isis, who then, and he was reborn as, you know, god of the dead in Egyptian mythology. He's one of the Assyrians, the most ancient lineages. They're tied to the element of water because his body parts were scattered. Um, uh, I think one of them was lost in. Um, in the Nile and eaten by a crocodile. Uh, so Assyrians typically have a body part or element of them missing. Uh, they have a tendency to be stoic and aloof. They're natural leaders, but also they can become emotionally distant when things don't work out right. Uh, they can actually uh, visit the underworld, I think, more than once in their pilgrimage. So Prometheans can at least make one, have kind of have one true death before properly dying so they they visit the underworld spiritually these guys can do it a bit more um yeah uh their humor is that of phlegm uh in a classic sense uh and yeah torment triggers a failure they can talk they they can get corpses to speak and yeah like they can revive from the river of death um and as i said their elements water uh tamas is a sumerian myth uh he is a golem uh so it depending upon whether he's a golem or someone that was buried in the earth and reanimated. They're typically very hard workers. They have bodies that bear an inscription upon them, which means they have this weird thing, an interesting relationship with language about how they learn it, but also because they've been inscribed with certain words, it means they have uh, particular specialities with certain skills, like they get more specialities. Um, they, can, they can withstand emotional hardship. They tend to be restless in nature, insomniacs, irritable, forgetting how to speak, normally when torment triggers. They're slow to anger, loyal, um, meticulous. Their, their, their humor is that of black bile. 
the last of the fate five main lineages is Olgan. They're tied to spirit as their element. So they're they're a, they're a um uh why can't I think of it? Mongolian shamanistic uh, mythology where the body is kind of like pushed into the into twilight, shredded apart and put back together, but they're missing the soul. So their humor is ectoplasm. So these guys can have a can interact with ghosts, spirits, ephemeral beings, um, and they wish to protect and wish to become uh, to protect people. They wish to become more human. Uh, they try to protect their throng. Uh, they can see unseen threats. Uh, torment drives them to feel isolated from the world. And they have abilities that means they can act with a, the, almost like the fluidity of a ghost. So they, they can act without distraction because they, they can shift their senses. And as I said, they can interact with things in Twilight. Then, getting back to kind of Westworld, we've got things like the Unfleshed, which are things that were machines and things that were made to look human. So all the other ones, right, are reconstructed humans, from humans. Yeah. These are things that were never human. And they have a thing that they were servile. They are they they like their service to be respected. Their humor is that of oil. Uh, they have a they're kind of toxic in that sense. Uh, their torment is that their their personality will drain away. They can act violently in a machine like manner. So the idea is like imagine you've got a machine like you know our favorite new robots that pour you drinks, mm -hmm. but they look that they're, they're being made to look more and more human. That is one of the could be one of the unfleshed. Mm -hmm. The extempore are uh, basically things that don't have a lineage, they don't have progenitor, they don't have a demiurge. They are spontaneous creation by the divine fire. Essentially, it's a pick and mix for those. Um, or they can be a failed creation that didn't result in a Pandoran, but also didn't follow the lineage of their of their creator uh, Promethean. Um, so that's your pick and mix lineage and then i think i can't find it in this book i wish i could it first edition and i think they're a really interesting type of created there's the ones which are the atomic touched so their divine fire is related to atomic energy okay mm -hmm. so you can see that their their wasteland effect would be like causing like cancer to people and stuff like that um yeah so that's the, that's the lineages opinions um well um i i think they're all interesting in different ways uh the ones i'm immediately drawn to well i'm uh, i'm a big fan of uh, mary shelley so the sort of original frankensteins are very interesting to me and sorry i'm just looking at the notes now uh, so I can read them again. And The Unfleshed, as you just said, because uh, Westworld is a really interesting concept to me. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say similar stories, but, you know, uh, about like Android and stuff, you know, Androids. Hmm. Oh, sorry, Chris is just trying to communicate to me without words. Um, yeah, and, and just like um, kind of as they achieve a greater consciousness and things like mm, that yeah androids is yeah androids uh were something they added in later in the line but i think they've now properly put it into the game um james yeah wow there's um <clears throat> so the frankensteins were the ones that came to mind straight away but it's interesting to see oh, it made me oh sorry oh um 
so yeah, the Frankenstein's are the ones that come to mind straight away. Um, but it's interesting to see the other types. Um, the Tamas, I feel, you know, maybe maybe that's a little bit too close to uh, to the way that you know my my normal day to day work is, where you know you uh, you're really kind of locked down into this work and you go through it and you just step through. Um, I can see a lot of reflection of, you know, just the uh, the current structure of working, you're doing these repetitive tasks day in, day out. I'd probably go for something a little bit more interesting, though, like I think the um, the organ sound interesting, um, but the a siren as well, like leave the the worry about leaving a part of yourself behind when you are trying to make this journey forward you know every time you uh every time you go into the realm of the dead you're leaving something so you're trying to walk forward whilst also potentially losing yourself along the way yeah the assyrians are really cool um the reason i picked them out uh is because they have the greatest potential for crossover because um because of mummy the, the created they're like i find a, a different form they're kind of if you delve into the both settings, they're very similar. Mm. Like they're again animated dead, and they are souls that are bound, but to to serve their their masters in the in the duat in the Egyptian world of the dead. So the relationship between those two animated dead corpses is interesting. The other thing. Is that Assyri that Assyrians have a relationship to quite well, and thus Mummy has quite a really good relationship to, is the Meket in Requiem because they can embrace people post death if the body is embalmed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those three have, I think, really good story potential, and then the Assyrians, as we said, they have an ability to, they have a relationship to the rivers of 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 the underworld, the rivers of death in the underworld well who else have a relationship to the rivers of death in the underworld Ooh, is that not the sin eaters in geist and then of course you've got the the and then if you if you go down that route you can mix in the organ because they can talk to ephemeral beings okay so there's, there's a lot of cool story potential in there with different ways of how you consider yourself as a created being animated dead dealing with the dead uh and uh and mythologies of what death is mm. um right carrying on though um obviously each of those we said have like innate powers there's a whole other host of things that come along which are called refinement so you know about the transitions you were saying sam mm -hmm. about that liminality so prometheans adopt the lofts philosophies or ways of life or practices that help perfect elements of themselves or explore elements of humanity to refine their proto-souls. So these refinements, there's a list of them. I'm going to go through them now. Each of them comes with transmutations that they can use. So every, if you move from one to the other, it changes what powers you have access to, which is quite different to other games. Other games, you know, you, you're a vampire, you've got nightmare and... For, uh, and uh, nightmare and potence and and whatever and you know those are your powers they don't change you learn new disciplines from other vampires you you know etc etc or in mage you learn more uh, arcana 
you know, you, you generally increase in your powers. Prometheans don't operate like that, which makes it very non-linear. They shift from these um, refinements, and it means the powers they have access to called transmutations. The transmutations have so, um, a basic class of powers within a transmutations are what are called alembics, and those reach the individual powers or, or groups of powers. So Aurum is is the element of gold. Uh, it's a, so that's a philosophy and way of life about mimicking humans and their ways, okay? And so obviously the transmutations will help enable that. Cuprum, copper, is about understanding oneself, understanding one's isolation and nature and what sets you apart from the uh, from humanity. It also means you're more vigilant because you're, you're not, you're not um, distracted by other things. You're very self-aware. Ferrum, Iron is about survival of fittest. It's about understanding one's own form and body and seeking to challenge it and refine it because obviously from iron comes steel. Uh, you know, as you hit iron, you'll you'll make it harder because you get all of the impurities out. Lead or plumbum, lead uh, is understanding the nature of azoth because azoth about how it waxes and wanes, how it causes disquiet, wasteland, vitriol, milestones, etc. Stanum tin understanding oneself and how. You, you relate to torment. Now, this philosophy is very easily taken because falling to anger, falling to rage, is a, it's just so easy. But knowing that you can get to it and then begin to learn how to control it, maybe, is, is the point of this one. Then you've got some more complicated ones. So Aeus is about, is, the, is about bronze. Now, bronze, obviously, is an amalgam of two metals. And it's about seeking to better oneself through service and setting aside one's own needs to aid another. So it's about creating bonds with others and the alchemical pact of the throng. Because, um, obviously, you can learn about more about yourself by helping others. Agentum is about silver, and it's about understanding the mysteries of the world. So, in other words, you can understand more about humans by looking at the other things that once were human but aren't human, so ghosts, vampires, werewolves, mages, etc., etc., etc. Kabbalah, cobalt, understanding impurities in oneself and how to refine them and remove them, but also seeing imperfections in others. And it's also about the imbalances of the humors and seeking to face and purge weakness. Mercurius, quicksilver or mercury, is about understanding pyros understanding alchemy so this one is less of a philosophy it's almost like an entire it's basically about the practice of alchemy as a science uh as a as a as a mystical science uh understanding the nature of firestorms vitriol the nature of defying fire centimani and then finally there's phosphorum or phosphorus so it's about thrill seeking and passion for life it's about seeking action and change and risking your life and facing life and death uh events and then there's one other which relates to the Centimani. It's all about flux. And it's about basically not being human. So the Centimani don't want to be human. They like being Prometheans. They like being inhuman. Um, so you can move between these at any time. As long as you've got someone that can teach you. You've got something that can guide you into it. Um, and as, you, as you're as you in, in that... Um, that refinement there are certain roles that you can take on that teach you a, about humanity and as you perform that role once you've learned it and you pass the milestone in that you can then unlock further powers uh, more of the particular transmutations now that does mean you go well hold on a minute what if i then go well, i want to become more like being on the 
refinement of copper? What if I move into another one? But I want to keep my power, the power, some of the powers I've learned. You can calcify those powers within yourself by spending, I think you could spend vitriol to do this, to do it. And um, so you can actually make certain alembics uh, part of your soul. So again, it's that refinement of the soul, making it more stable, more specific, defining yourself. So what do you think of that? Any, any ideas with that? I think you know. um, It's great. It sounds like an open university course with like modules or training modules. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, I know some people who could use this. Our, our politicians haven't quite managed it yet. Yeah. Know? But step one, mimic humans and their ways. <laughs> Almost. Right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, De yeah. So, sorry. Um, Chris is messing with the mic again. Anyway. Um, yeah, so um, it sounds it sounds cool um, in that you just said it's quite flexible actually in the way that they, you know, use um, all these different things and in in the way that they learn and and gain like experience of of becoming human and yeah, you know, just what what that means yeah. and things like that and also things beyond that as well. There's a real smorgasbord of like powers and alembics and the um in there there's like one that's like controlling electricity there's another one that's mm -hmm. like about you can secrete um the king's water which is a, a classic name for um a caustic um liquid so it also means you, you can't be harmed by like certain things um shape-shifting you know you can make your body stronger mesmerism like they all fit under there, but you know, these all represent elements of like understanding the world around you, your own body, humanity, other things. Um, yeah, and I think it's kind of interesting that you unlock more by performing you, you perform a role, you fulfill it, and you move on. Um, what do you think, James? Anything that stands out or or interesting things about yeah, the gameplay? For I, this? I think it's quite interesting because it does reinforce that. You're not human. You're not um, like Sam mentioned, like open university courses or like <laughs> learning modules. Now, if you went on a module and learned something and then you needed to do something else and you just completely forgot the thing you've done, like, you know, the human thing is that we pick up all of these bits and pieces. We we develop a kind of rounded knowledge base, mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, these things aren't quite human like they don't find it particularly natural like to keep something they have to make a concerted effort to like calcify a part of them like take something that is fluid and malleable and solidify it and mm -hmm. you know it does mean that you you are kind of narratively enforcing that you know you're not you're not people mm. um which means that you actually have somewhere to be journeying towards so I like that. It seems it seems neat. And also, I like the way that you can change powers. Like it seems like quite a interesting, uh, an interesting way of developing a character. Um, you know, you can meet someone and maybe they teach you something. Um, yeah, you're not really locked in on one particular wrote you know one particular kind of like character concept forever like you've got a character concept because you may go this is the the you may think in a meta gaming kind of way this is kind of like the story i want to play out mm. but how the milestones fit in together and how you jump between these roles and refinements yeah how that how you get through that that story is interesting and how you approach each of those like thresholds um is quite cool 
So yeah, and then the rest of the game is really um, as I said, so this is about how you gain those and the different powers. I mean, there's so many. I'm not going to go through them because mm -hmm. we'd be here for like three bloody hours. Um, but often each section is like, uh, if we take for example, I'm going to just give an example. Like, if you're one of the transmutations is electrification. Okay. You charge electricity when you use the transmutations from the powers in the transmutation, you power it with pyrus. Now, when you do this, it, it can reveal your disfigurements, and thus you're going to get into the white triggers disquiet people reacting negatively to you. If you don't want to do that, it means you get some negative conditions, so you're you feel because you're trying to restrain your, your powers. But some of the, the way these work into it, the alembics fall into different things. So, for example, electrification has. Uh, mechanica, uh, machinus, which is control over the fine electrical flow and the influence of electronics. Arc, which is an aggressive discharge of electricity. Oscillatus, which is electromagnetic pulses. And imperatus, which is control over gross electrical flow. So you can see how many of the other, of the other transmutations are control, change, Fine, con big control, or and chaotic control, or there, there, there's they look at different aspects of that that kind of class of powers. Um, so you do get quite a you know you only initially say if you've just started down whichever refinement and it gives you access to electrification, you only get access to say you choose I'm gonna I'll have all the powers that come with Machinus first, and then once you complete that role within that refinement. And each refinement has like three or so rolls. You can unlock another set of alembics that you can start using. So again, it's that character growth and learning to control. You have great control of your soul and thus get greater control over yourself and the things around you. Um, yeah. Uh, now, um, it doesn't really leave us much more to say um, on the Promethean themselves. So we've got a few things we can say about... Um, about uh the world they're in so as i said they, they cause disquiet uh which is about how people react negatively to them and this normally happens when prometheans expend pyros and reveal their their self um as they grow in power um they radiate azoth that that refined mm -hmm. crucible of 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 the divine fire and things will notice it so the more powerful you are you're easier to notice because you're just like some like big lighthouse of energy and the things that i'll notice you are other prometheans potentially alchemists that want to tear you apart and take your vitriol and empyros and use it for their own experiments to refine themselves uh alchemists are generally people that want to make themselves more than human which mm -hmm. prometheans find a bit weird because they 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 just want to become human not have these powers anymore yes. um they're more trouble than it's worth because the other things that come after you, as I said, are Pandorans. So Pandorans, when you create a Promethean and it goes completely wrong, all the body parts and the, all the body, it falls apart and each little piece becomes a little creature thematically tied to the type of lineage that this Promethean would have been. And they feed on the flesh of Prometheans to take the Pyros from it. But if they don't get enough, over time, the, the Pandorans become... Uh, they go into a slumber and then appear as inanimate objects. But they also can get into the case where a Pandoran 
can start eating other Pandorans and grow bigger and bigger and bigger uh, because they, because the more Pyros they, because Pyros is like um, the divine fire related to stability of change. But Pandorans are creatures of flux, so they're driven to eat their other Pandorans to rebalance out their energies to get more flux, if that makes sense. So they're very, um, there's an element of body horror, kind of like the thing, you know, with crazy mutations mm -hmm. and things going on. But then when those become like sentient, that's like, you know, you're into a whole host of problems. Uh, and then, yeah, so the other main enemy uh, antagonist is the, um, the Sentamani, who don't want to become human. And the other type of entities in the realm are the Quashilim. So the Quashilim are creatures of the that come from the divine fire. They seem angelic-like because they normally are wanting to create change in the world by giving missions out. So missions either come and these can be done to anyone in the world in the in the in in the setting of Chronicles of Darkness. But they're drawn to Prometheans because Prometheans are also creatures of the divine fire. So the things that happen, they normally do things to enact change in the world. And the question is, do they do it in a kind of nudge, nudging things, or do they do it by destroying to create change? Um, also, the fun thing is how these creatures cross over with, say, uh, Demon the Descent, because you may go, well, how are these angels different to the angels of the, um, of the God Machine? And they are different. And the answer is either the two angels will interact and all hell will break loose, or they just ignore each other because they're two. The entities have very different relationships with the world that they're within. Um, and then the only other thing on top of this is a firestorm. So what happens is when these wasteland, the wasteland effect of Prometheans grow and grow and grow, um, it gets to the point where the only way to remove them is what's called a firestorm event, which is where the divine fire pyros is so concentrated in the area it, it's unleashed and causes massive destruction and but ultimately it causes change and it purifies the area so it's almost like you know again fire is a destructive element but also a purifying element and and a purifying act and again i think that thematically fits what prometheans are so sometimes the very thing that causes a, a firestorm event is a promethean in a wasteland, undergoing horrific torment of some form. Um, yeah. Um, so any other points people want to raise? Any other themes that you kind of like within this, with, within what I've, I've spoken about? James? Um, so the, uh, the Pandorans do sound like they could be amazingly body horror-y. I mean, I'm remembering us watching The Void at your house, yeah, uh, and I just imagine like chunks of things going after people is just is gross, um, uh, very unsettling, and yeah, yeah, it's it um it seems a lot to me kind of like the sort of more modern interpretations of like homunculi and mm. stuff, um, which of course doesn't strictly always mean a miniature human. Form yes. anymore it's you know like creatures that are purely sort of created mm. right and um i there's a particular uh homunculus video on youtube by a russian guy um which um i'm sure is largely faked 
but it's really terrifying to watch every time I think about it. I, I feel really freaked out because uh, homunculi is really creepy to me for some reason. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, the idea. I think the, the theme of created people and how it can go wrong and it, that sense of um, uncanny valley. Yeah, and it's uh, a sense that it's not, supposed to exist and this is very very wrong that's just a sort of sense to, to watch videos like that is that's what i get a sense of that it's just deeply wrong uh i think also you know? promethean taps into like ideas of dis body dysmorphia dysmorphia yeah, dysmorphia yeah yeah so and how i guess pandorans and the centimania are an extreme representation of how you feel like they, they physically are a manifestation of how you feel you don't look mm -hmm. or feel the way you should be yeah um it's yeah it, it's i think because yeah, i think what uh you know despite how even a promethean would look on the outside to humans you know what they see themselves and and not even necessarily just their true selves as in like like you said uh uh, like in Changeling, that their true selves are like, you know, they, they can see each other's. Um, that, I mean, their own sort of personal view of themselves and a dysmorphia that they might have might actually see themselves as even worse than the true self almost, mm. you know, like even more horrific in their mind than even the, the, the true self in, in the mirror. Yeah. Might actually be even more, you know, extreme, mm. depending how they feel you know mentally yeah and emotionally yeah. um yeah i mean so uh, my view of running the game because of of um disquiet and like part of the game has like um the prometheans also have kind of like a uh a homeless you know like how you get the um you know in in um what was i gonna say in uh mad men mm -hmm. you know the the markers the marker that was on on um on why can't I do his name? What Don Draper when he's a kid at his home and a uh, a traveling worker comes to his house yes. and, he, and he shows that there's the traveler kind of sign yes. etched in to say this is a good the, uh, the guy here is bad like a cheapskate for mm -hmm. the work so that kind of language those markers um, exist within the Promethean culture because the idea of a pilgrimage in the game is not just in the term of their soul and but it was also like uh, an actual physical pilgrimage as well because yeah. because of the wasteland effects because of disquiet they and they feel apart from humanity that you're forced also to travel so i've always had it in my mind the way to run this game is kind of like supernatural like it's a road trip mm -hmm. but i would set it in europe yeah because then there's lots of like cool places you can go with the game and yeah things to say it's it's funny you said about don draper because i thought you were just going to say that don draper is not human clearly and is trying to learn to be one oh which yeah it's actually quite a popular interpretation of the series because if you if you take the sort of funny view that he is an alien that literally has no idea how to function and just saw sees all these badly functioning humans around him and just apes their behavior <laughs> that's exactly what it is so i think actually that's another angle to take is if you take a Promethean who is perhaps, um, you know, communicating with not to say the wrong humans, but 
to say uh, people with their own destructive tendencies and their own bad behaviors and sort of you know mirroring that and copying it and seeing that as normal human behavior or do you know what I mean mm. about being influenced um by by antisocial behavior or uh you know even certain views perhaps being uh, uh easily taken in by uh, even something like a cult or something and thinking that this is the correct way to think and this is the human way to live or this is the only way to live or or becoming deeply invested in religion somehow and yeah that's definitely know. one of, in one of the refinements is about interacting yeah. with ideas of like um of uh organized faith and... yeah but becoming you know perhaps uh too invested in yes or, or invested perhaps in in any particular behavior that they that they grab onto as an identity well, that's... and see this as connecting them as being human and sort of an anchor when it might not be the best way to conduct themselves as a human well that is actually seen as a negative thing within the game so if oh, you, that's exactly yeah what so saying, if you yeah. if you st <laughs> stalling on your pilgrimage is a bad yes. thing um and so staining just one refinement for the sake of it and thinking that is it is not good um also the kind of realizing that human behavior is not exemplary a lot of the time um and you know perhaps not even wanting to be human sometimes because of seeing well look at what humans do to each other and you know like do do i you know want to be a part of this kind of warmongering community that you know seems to incite violence and hatred you know with them kind of and again being stuck in sort of that liminal space um uh, and on the threshold straddling the threshold because they um are discomforted by their status as something non-human but also see you know how much humans get up to which is bad or considered evil in some respects and wondering if they really want to be a part of all this and whether they mm. want to join this um i was gonna say something else about liminality then um that um, with Victor Turner's interpretation of liminalities, that it's a he attributed a, a a positive connotation to liminal situations as ways of renewal, but um, liminal situations um, in the modern area, in actual fact, can be rather quite different, uh, which are periods of uncertainty, anguish, even existential fear, a facing of the abyss in void. Hmm. so you know it, it's like sort of being caught between a rock and a hard place of being non-human and being human and not really sure which you want to identify with based on the downsides of each and being stuck in this void perhaps hmm. Hmm. i think we've definitely demonstrated there's a lot of philosophical like mm -hmm. soul searching in this game to be done um the other thing I was going to say is actually compared to the first edition, just looking over it, and we've again, I've not got time to go into this at all. But the the rules like disquiet and the pilgrimage and the milestones are, are much more structured than it was in the first edition, and disquiet is toned down a bit so that you can interact with. You don't feel like you can have your characters stay within one place for quite a while before they have to move on. So you, you're not just like, oh, it's always going to be. You know, pitchforks and villagers chasing of you down. Course, yeah. um, 
So that's that's been altered uh, somewhat. Um, anything else, James? Man, um, I I'm I'm prepared I'm prepared for the bit where we talk about uh, inspiration and influences. Basically. That's fine because I think I think we've covered everything. Um, so, you know, as a good primer uh, for people to delve into and and get an idea of what the game is. Um, so yeah, let's talk about inspirations. So this I'm is our typical... let you finish, but uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Um... <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So inspirations, yeah. Okay, right. Okay, let's 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 get yeah. into this. So our typical curly camera segment. Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist. Um, we have to. Uh, it's 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 an obvious one. So yeah, uh, what we've got the the anime, the manga. Now we've also got the Netflix live action film, which I haven't watched yet. Um, Neither have I. <laughs> I kind of don't dare yet, but I probably um, will. What do you want to say, James, about it? So, um, their one of their core things is at the very beginning. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's spoilers for like the first episode or so, but you know they. They recreate physically a body for something, but they don't quite bring back something that is a human in it. Um, mm. So, like, they basically at the beginning make themselves a pan, uh, a Pandoran, right? Uh, Pandoran, uh, yes, definitely. Um, so, yeah, uh, it also has other creatures which are created and given life in the homunculus, and. Um, I mean, it's a lot. The alchemy is a lot more fantastical than I imagine uh, that you would get in um, Promethean. But they also do tend to do a lot of traveling around, so there's a little bit of that kind of road trippiness. To yeah. um, you know, they really have to try and understand the philosophy of it to get to the point where they can become human again. And I mean, Al is literally trying to become human again, right? Yeah, Al. Al is pretty much your your um, your your point of your main point of comparison within this yeah. because he you know he he has a lot of soul searching to do and um dysmorphia uh uh and questioning whether he was ever human things like that um it's so he, yeah it's he great for that organ and uh yes. and the, um what's the other one alphon Alphonse would be Osiron because he lost his, he left his arm and leg, I guess, if I was going to give him <laughs> lineage. Oh, Elric, yeah, you could say. Yeah. yeah. Also, Elric could, yeah, it's um definitely that. Um, and there's elements of like, yeah, rogue alchemists. Um, there's also, oh, we can't really spoil it, but there's, there's some really interesting like mm. times when alchemy has led to like fusions of humans and creatures. Yeah. And and I think if you wanted to get get that sense, you could borrow um, the Ankhaten. Is it oh, what are they called? But they're the type. They're chimerical creatures that are in um, in Mummy the Created, which fit quite well with that. Uh, yeah, um, it's a perfect point because obviously they're also after the Philosopher's Stone, which is very powerful. They do like rituals. I mean, it's also possibly you could have a good sign. You could have a Promethean or possibly a Mage kind of mix-up of groups because also Al kind of does his 
Alphonse and Elric do their their that do like magic circles for their alchemy. So there's that. Um, there is weird kind of some elements of body horror with the homunculi. So maybe the homunculi are also in some respects maybe um, Prometheans of a sort. Mm. Um, maybe some are more Centimani. Um, also, it depends which version of uh, Full Metal Alchemist you're watching. Uh, watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because I think it's the better series. Um, yeah. Uh, Westworld then, Sam. Uh, I think I already talked uh, about the thematic elements of it regarding what at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're basically unfleshed, maybe. Yes, they are, yeah. Uh, or Galateans. Yeah, possibly they, they could be in some of them. Yeah, um, so that works quite well. Um, in a similar vein to Westworld, I guess recent, like fairly recently, we had Ex Machina. Uh, yes, and Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, uh, Blade Runner, I think again is a good example of creative people questioning what they are and overcoming uh, the limitations of their. Their state, you know, again, um, in the first one, they had a limited life, which is a bit weird because in Prometheus the Created, you're kind of like you can't age, mm -hmm. but it, again, it's about overcoming the limitation of your state to become human. Uh, and what does it mean to become human and things chasing you down and being jealous of what you are or what you lack and distrusting you? Uh, what else is there? I'm gonna do a video game one, go on. Um, so it's a little bit out there as a suggestion, um, but it's Tacoma, uh, which involves you going to a space station to recover an AI core. Okay. And over the time you're there, you find that this AI um, has developed, like, it is, it's been around for long enough that it is kind of learning to be human okay. from people. And, you know, that could be something interesting because it's quite a narrative-led game it's it's another one like what remains of edith finch um where uh you end up you can kind of snoop through everyone's chronological data so everything's recorded and you can kind of rewind conversations and things and butt in on them and you kind of see the relationships it develops with humans and how it kind of picks up from yeah. them earlier and then kind mm. of uses that later um and it's kind of that seeing that that growth. Yeah. Um, Possibly also related to that. It's really easy, slow hanging fruit. Terminator series. Uh, you know, there's some elements you can mostly strip from it and say, yeah, that's a, some kind of like, you know, animated being. Um, Sam, you want to talk to us about Frankenstein? Yes, I do. Camera uh, horror. <laughs> yeah, I, go I on. want to take the floor now. Um, yeah, so um, I'm just finding my little. So there's a lot of films and of course there are a lot of film derivatives of frankenstein or involving frankenstein type creatures including frankenhooker which is really not worth it it sounds a lot more fun than it is um reanimator so, is yeah has some elements but i was gonna start from the beginning go on then um so there's actually two uh lesser known film adaptations that came before the james whale version universal yeah but they're lost films unfortunately and the first was made by edison studios in 1910 and um wow so the um uh, the it's a it's 16 minutes or it was 16 minutes because we can't 
find it now it's impossible to find it's lost um it has frankenstein chemically uh, create his creature in a vat the monster haunts the scientists until frankenstein's wedding night when true love causes the creature to vanish for many years the film was believed lost but i think i think yeah i think oh maybe it's not lost then i actually thought it was <laughs> okay well um it's very rare though of course so not really something you can find very easily um yeah there is another adaptation in 1915 called life without soul uh which is about a monday frankenstein creating a soulless man uh played to much critical praise by percy standing who wore little makeup in the role um uh uh, it repeatedly featured much spectacle in the end turns out that a young man has dreamed the events of the film after falling asleep reading mary shelley's novel which is a bit shit but anyway um there is a at least one european film version uh the italian il mostro di frankenstein mm. uh, in 1921 um that is a lost film too um so we go on to universal pictures which is probably the most famous and most sort of enduring image of the creature yeah uh played by boris karloff um it's directed by james whale um and has a very popular sequel to bride of frankenstein from 1935 and followed by son of frankenstein as well there's also uh the ghost of frankenstein but by that time it's sort of descending into b movie and less of a classic horror movie sort of vibe to it um and the studio started to combine Frankenstein with other monsters in like, you know, other features. And of course, then that culminates in Abbott and Constella meet, meet Frankenstein. So that's a comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, that's, I mean, my opinion on Frankenstein by James Whale. Uh, I think James Whale was a great director. Um, I think Boris Karloff was excellent. The, the general uh, consensus of, of Frankenstein fans uh, tends to be that uh, the best monster was Boris Karloff and the best Dr. Frankenstein is Peter Cushing, which I personally agree with uh, later on in the Hammer movies, uh, which I'll get onto in a moment. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that Boris Karloff sort of trumps Christopher Lee in that department just because the portrayals are extremely different. And with Boris Karloff, there's sort of more of an emotion to it. Mm. And, um, you know, just uh, possibly as human as it can be, really. And then, uh, whereas Christopher Lee's is, you can really tell sort of the vacancy and the emptiness of the monster, of something that really isn't human and isn't meant to be here and is angry about it um uh, rather than the the kind of uh, you know depression that seems to to come with Boris Karloff's monster so Christopher Lee is more about the rage i think of the situation to me okay yeah um yeah so um my personal favorite uh frankenstein movie is the curse of frankenstein uh which is a hammer movie uh, it's the first uh color horror film by hammer studios and it's uh from 1957 and like i said stars peter cushing and christopher lee and um that really is more of a story that's that's less about the creature and more about the monstrousness of the creator 
which I think is probably inspiring for games when you talk about alchemists and stuff and their motivations, because of course he's sort of, you know, he, he's very sort of drunk on power at certain points and, and uh, things that he feels he's able to do. And he's, you know, uh, very motivated just to, to keep going. And uh, despite, you know, um, the, the people around him who are initially helping him out, with it you know saying this is wrong we shouldn't be doing this but he's just you know completely sort of you know um uh, he, he has a one-track mind with it and uh you know just uh wants some sort of notoriety and mm. you know uh is kind of a sort of megalomania about it um so it has several sequels and um they sort of varying degrees of quality in there um i do like all of them because i'm a big hammer fan and i'm a big peter cushing fan um but i would say i mean uh so the one that follows it the revenge of frankenstein that's pretty good the evil of frankenstein is really good um after that it's really uh it does some innovative things the franchise but um although um you know the the sort of uh elements that are interesting along the way you know the others aren't really considered as great as possibly the first three or even the first two or the first one depending who you talk to um yeah uh what's interesting about peter cushing's portrayal of of the doctor is that he um is really a despicable person at many points and he um uh you know, there there are some different portrayals in the different movies because there are like continuity errors and stuff where they they completely disregard the previous films, but he's playing the same character. And uh, sometimes, you know, he has a little bit more empathy and seems to kind of regret things that he's done in the past. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as the series sort of ends, it it kind of veers off that. You know, there's not really a full on redemption arc or anything like that. But yeah. Um, Christopher Lee, I was going to say, sort of really gets that uh, concept of liminality across and that kind of being caught somewhere and in a complete void or an abyss. And you can really see that. And, you know, he doesn't, um, of course, have any spoken lines mm. in the movie. Yeah, I was going to say. And he really uh, shows that with his eyes and his face is half covered in, in heavy makeup. And, you know, and he's just this tall, like shambling, sad but angry creature uh, really rageful but you still have a great fear of him although you do feel bad for him you do have a great fear because of the way that he shambles around and the the strength that he really has and I think that really shows how you could portray somebody in Promethean uh, like you said with with the the Frankenstein type you know mm. of being that strong yeah and that inhuman what can we say about more some of the more notable films because obviously there was the um the 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 one with uh de niro was it de niro? uh playing God. frankenstein's monster uh yes which one is that that's just mary shelley's frankenstein mary Shelley, yeah mary shelley's frankenstein i think that's great because i think i think that's mostly great because obviously the prosthetics are really great in it yeah because it is a modern film um the the whole elaborate setup that they have uh, um, Branner's Frankenstein to create 
the monster with you know, the the eels and the amniotic fluids yes. and all that's really um awesome um and i think they do get into the bit of how like from how like the monster learns language and everything but then is ultimately rejected from by the the family is kind of um is well done um i will say um as you were just saying about the eels and stuff um like i think another reason curse of frankenstein was so popular and in fact quite shocking to audiences at the time in 1957 is because it was a full color horror movie and to them um it was quite gory you know yeah. you did see blood you didn't see everything but you do see uh peter cushing working on the creature working on corpses and coming away with blood on his hands wiping it on mm. his on his shirt and things like that and you know this was really visceral to people that you know this this was being shown almost you know you have when he he disposes of, of bits of corpses that he doesn't need in a vat of acid and you know I, I guess that was quite violent and scary to some people and I think that now it, it wouldn't be as much of a shock but you know you have to think of how vibrant it would have looked in mm. full technicolor on a cinema screen when you don't have that culture of like you know gore in horror movies so yeah it was a, a big groundbreaking thing and i think the apparently other, people liked it the other one uh james uh, i don't know if you've watched the series but I, I i highly recommend watching it um is of course uh penny dreadful as a great example mostly of how a promethean character can interact with other supernatural entities and also because we've we kind of know get like three flavors of Prometh of, of a Frankenstein monster because obviously Frankenstein is a character in the setting he has his original uh, creation which he calls does he call him Adam uh, I believe so but then he but then he rejects that creation and then he tries again which creates uh oh what did he name his second creation what's the name that was chosen it was some Greek name can't remember. God, I'm terrible. But that 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 led to obviously jealousy. So that's an interesting concept that you yes, could have come up uh, in the game. So in Penny Dreadful, uh, Rory Kinnear is really amazing. Oh as yeah, the first creature and a really sympathetic uh, view. Um, I I was actually going to say that I find a lot of the you know interestingly a lot of the media or almost all the media portrayals of the monster are really actually not in line with um what's in in the novel okay how, yeah. he's, how he's described he if you read it properly he's supposed to be actually kind of beautiful kind of like a goth boyfriend almost yes like okay he, yeah and not but obviously um i think it's difficult because you're visually trying to get across probably how they feel inside what has been created and how other people might react to him mm. and i think if you don't fully get that across maybe it's difficult so i think that's why there's been sort of wider portrayals of him being very ugly very monstrous yeah repulsed uh, by yeah. repulsed by the the obvious inhumanity rather than the kind of the soulless soulless inhumanity yeah. um i'd be mm. interested to see because um but hold on uh, I was going to say, following on from that, in the same series, you also get um, Billy Piper. Yes. She's also reanimated. Um, I think I would describe that as sort of a gal She's Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, and so she is uh, initially a character as a prostitute 
who is dying of syphilis and um she's brought back to life and uh you know is is a different person basically. yes uh but as she eventually realizes her status um you know kind of wants revenge for what's been done to her but also she 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 almost glories in the she, inner inhumanity does, yes of course she does um, uh, accept it in a certain way and accepts the strength that it's given her yeah as something that's like immortal and inhuman also in penny dreadful um the portrayal of victor frankenstein is one of the best ones i've seen in modern media oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So that's Harry Treadaway yeah. playing Victor Frankenstein. And he's, he really gets this kind of almost childishness and, you know, like uh, arrogance and, you know, manicness, if you know what I mean. Um, I was going to say there was, um, you know, plans for, which I hope is still plans for, a, a reboot film, which uh, Guillermo del Toro is going to do. He's a huge fan of Frankenstein. And he's been wanting to do this for years and years. And I really hope that he actually manages it, especially on the back of, you know, The Shape of Water and things like that. Mm. Um, so he has cited Frank Darabont's near-perfect script, which evolved into Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. Um, he wants it to be a faithful Miltonian tragedy. And he said, what I'm trying to do is take the myth and do something with it, but combining elements of Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein without making it just a classical myth of the monster. The best moments in my mind of Frankenstein, the novel, are yet to be filmed. The only guy that has ever nailed for me the emptiness, not the tragic, not the Miltonian dimension of the monster, but the emptiness, which is, as I was saying before, is Christopher Lee in the Hammer films, where he really looks like something obscenely alive. Mm. Boris Karloff has the tra tragedy element nailed down, but there are so many versions, including that great screenplay by Frank Darabont, that was ultimately not really filmed. Um, also, I think, as an important thing, uh, Guillermo del Toro has also cited the amazing artist uh, Bernie Wrightson's illustrations as an inspiration. Now, I wish I had a copy of Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein. I do not. I need to get my hands on one. It's about £100 for me to do that. Mm. Um, yes, because I believe it was first published in like 1984, and then in the 90s it was kind of printed, and it's possibly been reprinted since then. But obviously, it's kind of like gold dust. Um, yeah, so it's it's really beautiful. If you can actually Google that and look at the pictures, if you've not heard of it before, then definitely do that. Um, unfortunately, the the uh, production of this uh, Guillermo del Toro Frankenstein um, has kind of halted because he's been doing other things. Um, but I'm sure he really wants to still do it. Uh, really happily for me, it's going to be a period piece, so it's going to be faithful to the novel. Mm -hmm. And um, also that, um, of course, he, he has cast his frequent collaborator, Doug Jones, in the role of the monster. Duh. Yeah, so um, apparently uh, Jones stated that he learned of this news the same day as everybody else, as Guillermo del Toro just said to the press, of course, it's going to be Doug without consulting him but he said um um in his mind if that's what he decided then it's done it would be a dream come true so that really sounds like a dream team and i'm so excited if it actually happens so i'd really like uh them to get on that please <laughs> hmm. um i'm gonna finish with a few things that i think are interesting i think you could get some of the body horror element of obviously from the thing um also from uh splice 
Oh, yes. Yes, okay. that's an interesting movie. Because um, Splice, they, I think it may be good for like uh, a form of Pandoran or Sublimante. Um, also, I think that's interesting because it leads you down like the modern kind of concept of what a Promethean could be. Like, you know, as I said about Chimera, genetic modification, uh, you know, what is that creature? Is it soulless? Is it human? Yeah. Uh, it may be some weird animal hybrid thing that looks human, acts human, isn't human, but yeah. then eventually does become human. Um, and then related to that, um, also on the kind of chemistry gone wrong, biology gone wrong. It's a Lazarus effect yeah. <laughs> where you've got someone that dies. They use a, a yeah, that was a uh, you know a straightforward, well, seemingly straightforward reanimation, resurrection of uh, so uh, the you know the character dies as a result of the, this is what they're actually trying to do. By the way, in the lab, they they resurrect a dog yeah. after it's dead. Um, but they're not really ready to go to human stuff yet. But they have to, uh, and they to have accident. to because she has an accident. Is accidentally electrocuted in the lab, mm. and uh, the guy, uh, her partner, in it is obviously desperate to save her, and and the people in the lab are desperate to save her, and that's the only thing that they can try is to do that, and it works. But unfortunately, there are some drawbacks. Yeah, because um, <laughs> um, obviously she 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 feels like she goes to hell. Hell, yeah. Uh, she starts hyper evolving um she like she basically like injects herself with the the magical mm -hmm. the the alchemical fluid they're using the, the 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 whatever thing it is scientific thing they say it is whatever but that causes more and more evolution within her but because she's been to hell like this is a the character is like an atheist or at least she she fears yeah. fears hell is real because she has something she did in her childhood that's changed her that kind of relates to something else that's in promethean is the idea of like there's a a shared azothic knowledge so when you when mm. a promethean wakes up they do know rudimentary basics of how to act as a human like the basics of eating sleeping drinking shitting whatever because that's kind of like a, a biological memory yeah, yeah. But if the if that's all tainted by the memories of the body parts and the person you were, yes, and that also turns up within the game as well. So that's kind of cool. Um, so well, yeah, I, I think in, in that movie it really gets across like the rage again. Oh yeah, it really, really mega does. ragey. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm trying to think if there was another computer game or board game stuff. I mean, there's other bio Obviously, if you want to get some other ideas. Unhallowed Metropolis has some great um, Frankenstein monster kind of concepts in there and biology. Um, there's also other games which you can mostly draw for, from as well. Uh, possibly look at Iron Kingdoms with ideas of like alchemy. Um, not for inspiration of how to play the characters though. There's tons of Frankenstein. There's the Frankenstein Chronicles right now on TV that I think we need to watch. It's got Sean Bean in it. He don't die, I don't think. That's all right. Good for him. Not uh, yet, anyway. Uh, <laughs> and um, there's mostly other Frankenstein monster films that we've not mentioned, but... Probably because we have Oh, I, Frankenstein, can go in a bin and burn. Oh, it's... and also, even though I love James McAvoy... Victor oh, Frankenstein. That was fucking trash. A terrible, terrible, terrible movie, and you shouldn't watch it ever. That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and possibly this mostly Star Trek episode somewhere that that 
always mm. cover this classic science horror element of created people There's and the meaning of them. It, data, data, data. He's oh, unfleshed. Yeah, yeah. He's unfleshed. He wants to become human. He even gets some human flesh in Star Trek First Contact. And the Borg are kind of like the opposite representation of that. Um, and Law, his brother, who's, who enjoys being what he is, doesn't want to become human. Uh, anything else, James? Any last ideas? Oh, do, do, do. What have I got here? Um... I can't think of computer game ones. Um... Computer game ones are kind of weird because often you fall into the unfortunate RPG trope of being a murder hobo. Um, <laughs> like, you, you pretty much just, like, video games generally have you go from location to loot. Oh, crumbs. Deus Ex. Of course. Yeah. Um, you are people with augmentations and. Um, there's a definite unsettlingness about how other people treat them, and it's yep. a very visual effect from the outside. Um, I'm gonna, I'm going to put myself out there and say I've not really played any Deus Ex games. Um, no, have I. But, but related to it, you just reminded me, um, because it's the source material for that game is uh, Ghost in the Shell, the major. She is uh, human-looking, but is a fully cybernetic body with her brain trapped inside it. And so questions whether she was ever human, because there's the whole, like, is she is the ghost. It, does she have a soul? But are we talking about this solely so we can condemn the ScarJo movie? Yes. Of course, because it's terrible. It's complete trash. <laughs> um, but yeah, Death Ex fits into that, James. That's definitely a, a good one. I'm glad you brought that up. Um I think that's it. Is that it? I think so. Yeah, is that it, Jim? I think we're done. I think we're done. Um, so next time we will cover Mage the Awakening, and if we figure out before then, we will do a uh, we will do a frequency shift and finally talk about some Kingdom Death again because uh, it's well overdue. Um, people can get in contact by emailing darkdaysradio at gmail.com we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter at darkerdaysradio, we are on Google Plus, we have a community there um, and then on top of all the email and Google Plus and Twitter, Sam uh, yep, my Instagram is at Sam Capral, that's Sam K-A-P-R-A-L and Sam Capral photo, that's Sam Capral Photo with an F, F-O-T-O. <laughs> okay. You know, if you've got ideas, if you don't agree with us, have our film ideas, please get in contact. Um, and uh, then uh, there's Sam, you have your... We, we, we're moving right now, so it makes it a bit hard to do some more photography, but I think we're going to try and fit some uh, in try soon. Try and do at least one shoot before we move. Yep. Uh, James, are you doing anything blogging-wise right now? You got any ideas there, anything to write up about? I think you have something about gaming to write up that I need to write up as well for the blog. Yeah, I, um, I'm getting those notes together on uh, resurgence of horror gaming. Um, and I'm also thinking that I might document my Kingdom Death campaign. Um, Yay! Yes, do it. Yeah. Um, also, end of the month is our weekender episode, uh, weekender feature on Beasts of War. That will be there, where I've basically talked about everything we've done. But you get to see some toy soldiers as well. Yay! Um, 
and uh hopefully if you listen to this we might see you either at horrorcon or international gothic association slash manchester gothic festival or uk games expo or i don't know what other events are coming up oh uh there's the jackalopes larp in texas where i'm hoping chick's gonna make it to uh pax east happened recently so mike was there uh, in boston running some games i believe maybe can't remember i'll mostly find out on the dove days radio episode um that is it i think so thank you for listening thank you for putting up with talking with me obviously sam you always have to put up with me james thank you for putting up with me uh and thank you both for your input and insight thank you sam i thought we learned something today <laughs> um, <laughs> um i think we did it. a very good job of appearing very very human yes mm-hmm. i agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah who yeah. wants to be human um <laughs> uh, yeah and I, i'm hunting down big big game for an interview for if i can nail it down <gasps> oh she spoke to me um but we'll get to that at some point uh, yeah it's best not to talk about nah that. we're gonna we'll try and nail that down and see if we can get some people on it'd be interesting once we get through all these primers if we can get some interviews with people because i think what with the um gaming and the gothic it might some of the academics might be cool to have on for a podcast to talk about horror gaming um yeah okay so that's all so goodbye goodbye <laughs>